Uh, so yes. In fact, we've seen many times he'll just say the word. In fact, remember one guy came to him one time and said, listen, I'm not worthy that you would come underneath the, my house, the roof of my house, but you just say the word and my servant would be healed. So he could have done that, right? He could have done it. Why is it that Jesus got up and went with this guy? Well, yeah, he asked him if he would, but did Jesus have to? Well, not necessarily. So here, I guess, is my question I pose is, why would he get up and follow this father to go to his little girl? Well, look at what the rest of the, that verse says. And it says that a great crowd followed him and just, I mean, they were just cramming in on him. But in Matthew's account, it says this, and his disciples got up and followed him. Now, I know you know this, but it's just a good reminder. In fact, a lot of these things, you know these things. But it is a good reminder at times that Jesus never does anything by just default or by accident. Everything Jesus does is by what? Design. It is on purpose. In fact, you might be thinking there have been things in your life, maybe even this past week, or all of your life, you've thought like, hey man, Jesus is really good to people, but it just seems like I'm on the sideline, and I'm just kind of getting leftovers or whatever. And the truth is, Jesus does everything on purpose. He never does something just out of like, hey, I think I'll do this. He has a purpose for it. Now remember what the main point is? Jesus wants his disciples to see, hear, and feel everything he does. Because what's Jesus about to do? Jesus is about to leave this earth. He's going to send his Holy Spirit back into his followers. But he has trained them, he has brought them along, and he wants them to do exactly what he did. Same for you and I. He wants you and I to do exactly what he did while on earth. His Spirit's in us. He's given us his word. You and I are to be doing these things daily. Doesn't matter, again, your age, young person, child, adult. Doesn't matter where you work, where you live. He wants you and I to be doing these things. And so it says this. You kind of get the idea. They get up and they're going in verse 25. And there was a woman. She had to start discharge of blood for 12 years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better but rather she grew worse so the story is a dad's come to get jesus to heal his daughter who's dying and on the way there happens to be a woman who is suffering greatly for 12 years. But hear me, she's not just suffering because of this disease, but according to Jewish law, she is what? Ceremonially unclean. So that means she can't go to church. She can't go to the synagogue. In fact, she can't be around other people. And so if for 12 years she has been like this, it means that she has been isolated from, if she does have a family which I think probably this particular passage says because she spent all that she had, maybe, and I'll just suggest this, maybe she's a widow. Maybe there's no one to take care of her. Maybe her family has abandoned her. 
Maybe because she's not gotten any better and she spent all the family savings, maybe they're just going to go on and leave her to herself. Maybe it would just be better if she just went over by herself and died. Maybe let's just move on with her life. No telling what. But this lady was suffering not just from a disease, but from rejection from all the things that come with this. In verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. I mean, what else does she have to lose? Right? So she heard about Jesus. She came up behind him and in the crowd touched his garment. For she had been saying to herself, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples who were oblivious. Right? His disciples said, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Right? They're going like, what are you talking about? And remember, what is Jesus wanting them to see, hear, and feel? And they're oblivious to what's going on. But Jesus pays them no mind because in verse 33, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. You might know this uh, you, you might not, but in Jesus' day, in this particular culture, in fact, even in our culture today and around the world, women had little to no standing. They had little rights. They could not testify in court. They couldn't vote. They had little rights. In fact, most people, now women, don't get mad at me. I'm just, uh, I didn't make this up, all right? Like, don't take it out on me, all right? Um, people just looked at them as objects and not people. In fact, in this day, for most male Jews, every morning they would pray this prayer. Lord, I thank you that I'm not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman is what they prayed. And so, what is Jesus wanting his 12 disciples, right? Who came from every background, who probably had the same feelings, same thoughts, same ideas as everybody else. What is he wanting them to see, hear, and feel? Well, later on in the New Testament, I want you to read this with me. In Galatians 3.28, read this out loud with me. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse does not mean that there are not genders. So when you look at that, and especially in our day, with let's do away with gender, this verse is not a backup because for some, they use this verse as a backup of like, hey, listen, there's neither male nor female. That's not what the verse is saying. And so in our day, you've got to be really clear, but what he is saying is what? In Christ Jesus, 
Yes, we do have different roles in life. But in Christ Jesus, there's not the lower class and the higher class. So years ago, um, I went with Sam, and Sam and I went with Dr. McGee, and we went to another country, and Sam and I, what we were going to do is do a pastor's conference. And uh, while we were getting ready to go do that, uh, we were suggested that in one of our messages, we're going to be talking to pastors of churches in the jungle. And what we needed to talk to pastors about, that it was not okay to beat your wife. And I kind of like thought, he's trying to make a joke, and it was no joke. You need to talk to pastors about it's not okay to beat your wives. And so I looked at Sam, I said, you're doing that one. <laughs> so anyway, he did. did a great job. Like you would have to do that with supposedly a pastor? Yeah. And so these men, they even needed to hear this. Like there are none second class. And so in verse 34, he said to her, hear this, daughter, for you dads, you probably don't say to your daughter, hey, daughter, you just call her by name, you call her, hey, my little girl, or whatever. This is like the dearest thing this woman probably has heard in 12 years of obscurity. That daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. For men, this would be a, a good opportunity to say something that maybe you know this or you don't. If you have a daughter, you're married, it's a good thing. If you have a sister, this is a good thing to know, remember. Women, you probably know this just intuitively. You know this, but maybe it's never been really clear and be able to say it. But for a woman... Security is a huge thing. For men, a big deal in our lives is significance. And it doesn't mean that a woman uh, doesn't need that as well, but security is, is the bigger deal. In fact, let me just give you a, a definition, and I hope this helps. Because security, just one definition is an awareness of being unconditionally and totally loved without needing to change in order to win love, love by a love that is freely given, that cannot be earned, and therefore cannot be lost. That's a huge definition, but just camp for a moment. I'm going to ask you something. Just walk through this with me. I'm going to ask you a question, and ladies, you can say it to yourself, or you can say it out loud, but here's the deal. Here's the first part of it. An awareness of being unconditionally and totally loved without needing to change in order to win love. In Christ, is that statement true? It is, yes. 
Does it always feel true? You hear what I said? Does it always feel true? No. But is it always true? In Christ, you, you do not have to perform change before you were a child of His. In fact, you were an enemy of God before salvation, right? And He loved you. It is a true statement in Christ. It doesn't always feel like it, right? But it's always true. Here's the next statement. The next statement says, Love that is freely given. In Christ, is that statement true? Yes, it's true. Does it always feel like it? Maybe not necessarily. But in Christ, it is an absolutely true statement. Next one. That cannot be earned. Can you do anything to earn God's love? No. You cannot do anything. So with that same thought, the very last one, can it be lost? Can this type of love that God has for you, can it be lost, diminished? Can He stop loving you? The truth is what? No. He will never. So in Christ, what? This statement is absolutely true. It does not mean you will always feel it. But the truth is, it is always true. Nothing can change it. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing will make him love you more. Nothing will make him love you less. So here's my next statement for just all of us, all right? Is that we must continually remind ourselves, both men and women, we must continually remind ourselves, kind of maybe you heard the statement, preach to yourself. Take the truth of God's worth and remind yourself of it. But not only that, we need each other to be telling the truth to each other all the time. And here's how we tell it. We tell it through our words. We tell it through our actions. We tell it through our attitudes. Because, hear me, you and I's love towards one another, it's flawed. As a dad, your love towards your daughter, it's flawed because of sin. That does not mean that you and I don't, in Christ, try our best to do that. But at the same time, you and I need to remind one another that God's love for you is perfect. It'll never be taken away. You might feel this way. You might be the worst day of your life. It might something be happening. But the truth is, God loves you. I'm a poor expression of that love. But that does not give me an excuse to not love and care and express it to one another. And same thing with you. You and I, we must be continually telling one another, reminding one another that you are loved, you are cared for, it can't be taken away. And there are days when you need someone to tell you that as well. And hear me. Do not, like, I'm not into, I'm not trying to be mystical or weird or like, but man, if you have like a prompting that you need to go to a person and you need to go, listen, I don't know why, but 
you're on my heart, you're on my mind, um, I've been praying for you, um, can I help you, um, can I, whatever. Because the deal is, that's how God works. He works through other people and other people's lives. This is going to sound weird. Hang with me. So the other night, about 3 in the morning, I woke up because someone called my name. I had a person on my mind. So I just went in the living room, got on my knees, started praying for that person. You might not have that experience. The deal is if God prompts you about a person in your life, Follow it through. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came the ruler's house, meaning some people from the ruler's house, and says, listen, your daughter has already passed. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine what Jairus, the dad, can you imagine what the disciples probably were thinking? hey, listen, we, we had this thing. This guy came along and said, hey, my daughter is very ill. She's probably going to die soon. I want you to come and heal her. And on the way, and then this woman kind of gets in the way and like, man, that, what a detour, like a distraction, you know, like Jesus got distracted. and Like, man, you should have done it. In fact, I bet the disciples were thinking about, hey, you remember when you got word about Lazarus and... Uh, we just kind of lingered for about three days. And when we got there, what, what the sisters of Lazarus go like, hey, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Like, they're probably thinking, man, here it goes again. Man, Jesus gets distracted and detoured. Question, have you ever thought that about you? In fact, I'll just ask you this. How about right now? Are you thinking, man, Jesus missed that one for me. He got distracted. In fact, he was busy with uh, 6,999, you know, whatever. And he missed me. He, like, came too late. Now, here's a question, another one. Is God ever too late? Does it feel like that he's been late before? In fact, are there things in your life you're going, God still hasn't given you the answer to that thing, and you're still waiting? Hey, I'm waiting. And guess what? He might never tell you why that happened why it seemed like a delay, why it seemed like there was a detour, why it seemed like... So what do you do with that when that happens? I want you to say this verse with me, okay? Say this verse with me. This is God speaking in Isaiah. And say it out loud and don't just say it. I want you to hear what you're reading from God's Word. Ready? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God always has a higher plan and purpose than you and I can ever imagine. And so you might be thinking, we were, Jesus, you're messing with this lady. We were supposed to have been going and taking care of this little girl dying at her parents' home, and you got distracted, and now they come and say, listen, don't even bother Jesus because she's already passed. Like, but Jesus is never too late. He's never. He never has been. He's never been detoured. He's never been caught off guard. It's a good thing just to remind yourself and hear that again. For most of you, you're like, I know this, but in the midst of something maybe you're going through, you'll forget it. And you're going like, where was God? Where was he? He's right there. Why was he doing? Or why wasn't he doing? Remember that one. He's got purposes and plans way beyond yours. He might let you know in this life. And then, guess what? When you get to heaven, you're thinking, that's the first thing I'm going to ask him. I'll just think about this. I used to think, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did you make mosquitoes? You probably have... You probably have a list of those things, right? Like, why did you do this? You just think for a minute. When you get to heaven, are you going to ask him any of those? Nope. It'll all be clear. It'll all be real clear when we get there. Until then, what do you do? You believe what he said. So in verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. In other words, it simply means keep on believing. You came to me because you thought or knew or you've seen me heal people and you knew I could heal her. So I want you to keep believing that. Even though the situation looks like why even bother, I want you to keep believing and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they quickly, what they do, turn from their wailing and weeping to laughing at him, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who, his disciples, with him, and they went in. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Jesus not only had this little girl to heal and that woman on the way to heal, but a mom and dad to restore and build up their faith. 
but at the same time for his disciples to be able to see and to hear and to feel what he has all this little journey. He wants them to be able to see it. He wants them to be able to see how he sees people. He wants them to hear. I mean, listen, do you, when people are talking to you, like just like you're in a conversation and, you know, something uh, is a little off or a little wonky or it's like, like uh, that kind of sounded out of sync, you know, and yet do you hear that? When someone like, and are you paying attention? Like, are you all there when you're with someone? Like, are you in just proximity or are you like really present? And when someone is talking and they say something, uh, what, what are you and I to do? Like, you pick up on that thing and like respond. Like, or if you see something, or like you feel like what they're going through, what, what do you do with that? Because here's the deal. As a follower of Christ, Jesus wants us to see how he sees, hear it, feel it, and respond accordingly. So ladies, hang on for just a moment. Talk to men. So here's just a few thoughts. Men, really listen to this question. How do you look at women? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a a young woman. So just like people in Jesus' day and like his disciples, for you and I, men, how do we look? If you're a son... I would say honor, which means value your mother. If you have not, ask her forgiveness. If you're a brother, love, protect, and show kindness to your sister. If you have not, ask her forgiveness. Husbands, How you treat your wife speaks loudly to your daughter. If you have mistreated, ask all their forgiveness. In fact, I think for not only us men and husbands, dads, uh, for all of us, loving other people, so love for your spouse, love for your children maybe a good thing to remember is love is a commitment of your will it's not of your emotions because your emotions are like a roller coaster right it's a commitment of your will to her needs and best interest regardless of the cost it's just a good thing to remember because over time and you know this men if you've been married very long Emotions come and go, and they're like roller coasters. And what was it when you made this commitment to your spouse? It was a commitment of your will. 
It was a commitment of your will that you stick to this thing. In fact, just a couple of ways I have been learning myself just recently of how to express love to Sherry, uh, to my daughters, to my grandchildren, would be this. How do I make it easier for her to do what she does best? And so, men, you could think of that and think, how do I make it easier for my spouse? How do I make it easier for her to do what she does best? Or here's another one. This could apply to every one of us. Live in such a way that makes it easier for her to live hers. Live in such a way that makes it easier, not more burdensome, not more hectic, but how can I live in such a way that makes it easier for her to live her life? Men, if you have a daughter, would you want your daughter to marry a man like you? Would you want your daughter to marry someone like you? Dad? You are the first and foremost male figure to interact with your daughter. Set a high, godly, gentleman standard so that as your daughters grow up, they can look back and they saw the first gentleman they ever met, you, their dad. I would encourage you if you're a dad, if you have daughters, that you would read a book called Bringing Up Girls by Dr. Jo James Dobson. In fact, I just put a few quotes. Uh, he had several college age who were going to be interns that focused on the family years ago. And he had them come and he met with them because he had um, some things he was going to, assignments to give as they were earning their degree. And he says, in the midst of all these young college girls that followers of Christ seem to have their life together over time, he writes, the majority of the girls spoke of a void inside that was created by a lack of emotional connection with their fathers. Elsewhere in the book, he writes, what he, dad, thinks about her and how he expresses his affection is a central source of her perceived value as a human being. Girls often feel abandoned by fathers who won't engage them verbally. Females of all ages tend to interpret masculine silence as evidence of rejection. Just one last one. Meaningful and affectionate dialogue with a daughter is evidence that she is worthy, secure, and loved. So I just end with this. Both these women in the story, not only the woman who suffered from an incurable disease, but a little girl who had passed, 
They're just pictures of you and I before Christ. Right? Unclean, with no resources to make life better in ourselves. In fact, the Bible says spiritually dead. They're just pictures of people without Christ. And neither one could do anything without what? Jesus' interaction with them. In fact, for if you're here this morning, you've never submitted your life to Christ. You will not do that just any old time you want. I don't mean that harshly, but because you can't. In fact, you can only respond when Jesus calls you. Jesus said, no one comes to me except I call them. And I can just tell you what it felt like the day he called me. It's not like I heard my name or it's like I heard, you know, some audible voice. The truth is, as he was calling me, I sensed something inside of me, and it was kind of like this. I sensed that, hey, I realize I am separated from God because of my sin. Maybe the first time you realize, like, I'm separated from God. And again, the calling is, but I believe what Jesus has done for me. And it isn't just like one, two, three. It's kind of like all together. And then it seemed like the other one is, even though I know I'm separated, I have this longing inside of me because he's calling me. I have this longing inside of me that he would forgive me and that I would want to follow him. Because Jesus is continually calling people to himself. It might will be this morning, that's you, and you sense inside of you, it's Jesus calling you. And what do you do about that? You respond. That does not mean you walk down this aisle. What it means is in your heart, you respond. You confess that, yes, you are separated, that you want His forgiveness, that you want and desire to follow him you confess that and then you just say yes you say yes my my prayer when i came to christ was god i know a lot about you but i don't know you personally i know all the stories in the bible but i don't know you personally i want you to be my boss i want you to be the ruler boss of my life if that is the heartbeat you are sensing, that's what you must do. You must respond to Him. In fact, would you just bow your head, close your eyes for a bit. Again, it doesn't mean you walk down this aisle. It means right where you're at, you respond. You respond. You sense Jesus is calling, and you respond to Him. So, Father, Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us, that we would be sensitive to your spirit as your disciple, as you're teaching us, as we're walking in this world. Would you help us to see, hear, and feel what you do? Lord, even in this room, even in this place, 
when we gather together, would you help us to be sensitive and see others and hear others? And may you help us with our neighbors, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we run into, the store. Would you help us to see? In fact, for me, if I don't watch it, I will get blinded. Would you help me not to get blinded? Would you help me not become dull of hearing? Would you help me not be dull of sensing and feeling and have compassion for people? Lord, I pray for those of us in this room that are disciples of Jesus. Help our seeing to become better. Help our hearing when other people are speaking become better. Help our compassion become more tender to people in our own family, to our neighbor, to that person we work with and their lifestyle is so different from ours. And instead of becoming hateful and standoffish, I pray that you'd help us to have compassion for they don't know you and help us to be that. And pray for folks this morning that maybe they've never called on you. Maybe this morning, as they're calling, as you are calling them, may they respond in their hearts this morning.